You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. I'm Pastor Jason, one of the pastors here at Schweitzer, and it's a joy to be with you today as we think about why do I need the church? If you were just going to have somebody come up to you on the street and, and ask you a question, and if they ask you a question, why do I need the church, what would be a quick response? Community? Acceptance? Support? As iron sharpens iron? Okay. Accountability? Okay. Would any of you say, I don't know if I really do? Sometimes, um, sometimes some of us find ourselves in that place. Some of the answers you gave are, are really good answers. But as we think about our, our broader culture, the, the people that we rub shoulders with on a day-in, day-out basis, as we think about how people think about church, how people talk about church, the reality is, and that even sometimes down deep in our own hearts and our own minds, there may be moments when we say, man, what is going on right now in my own life? And what is going on with the sense with the life of the church, maybe the place where I call home, a home church? And there are times, there are times when people, maybe even you find yourself at this place, where you struggle with what church is and what church is supposed to be. There's a couple of popular narratives that I think um, are, are present in, in our own day and maybe in our own hearts and minds that we struggle against from time to time about ways in which we, we look at the church. Some of us think that we're strong and we're self-sufficient and the church can at times be irrelevant to life. Sometimes when we, we think about the stories of Jesus, we look at what Jesus calls or invites us into and we think, you know what? I hear Jesus calling me to follow him so I can have faith. But I don't know what really that connection is between faith and following after Jesus to the life of the church. And sometimes when we see that the church isn't necessarily strong or or we see that the church fails at something or that maybe the church hurts us, we like, I think I can be strong all on my own. And if you're at that point, maybe you have faith or don't have faith, but you think you're strong, the reality is, is that all of us, find out one way or another that we're weak somewhere along the way. We all find out in some form or fashion that we're weak. Another reality that is in front of us about sometimes how the, uh, the way we think about the church, sometimes we can believe that the church is hypocritical and judgmental and self-serving and caring, and it only cares about itself. And at some part or parcel of, of our lives, we'll probably find out that there's something that is very true about that statement. It's been a hard year, if you read the news about the church, to not at some place say, that statement can really be true. And yet, brothers and sisters, I want to say to you that while that statement is true, I'm going to guess that whenever you find the church living that truth, that reality out, there's probably something deep down in your own spirit, something deep in your own gut that says it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be like that. 
Because the reality is, is you have an aspiration and I have an aspiration. In fact, the Apostle Paul has this sense of an aspiration about what the church is supposed to be like in the, in the letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus. We're going to be in Ephesus 4 today. And one of the opening lines he, he writes to the church in Ephesus 4 is this. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Get this. There's a calling that we've been called to live, but the reality is Paul has to remind us that, that we need to pursue it, that we need to seek it, because at some point there's something that, that may be holding us back, keeping us back. So he says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Those words are words of aspiration. They're words of desire. They're words about what we can be, what we ought to be, what we can pursue. And yet they're words that strike us because at some point, when you look at those things, are we always humble and gentle? Are we always patient with each other? Do we make allowances for each other's faults? Oh boy, I look at that text and it's like, it's like a mirror shining all of my fractured faults right back at me, right? Like, oh, I don't live up to that. And yet there's something that Paul says, we are called into that. There's an, an aspiration, a desire, a deep hunger in our hearts and we hope that that's the kind of thing that when we come to church, when we're a part of a church, when we make vows of membership, we hope that that's the kind of church that we're a part of. And yet far too often we find out that the church looks just like us when we stand in the mirror. And sometimes there are faults and sometimes we, we want to give up. And yet, and yet the reality is, is that Paul says, no, we're not called to give up, but we're called to press in. Because when we find those fault lines, when we find those cracks, there's something that says to us, um, this, is, this is a place that's very much like us, very much like me, and this is a place where I need to be. In fact, going back to that first comment that we're strong or, or, or um, we can be self-reliant, at the end of the day, one of the things I think that really grips me about why we need the church is because Jesus thinks we need the church. The church is Jesus' idea. It's his invention. It's his gift to us. It's his, it's his present to us. That he invites us to be not only followers of him, but to be people who are gathered together. And it's a gift that he gives us. And he says, when you follow me, join these brothers and sisters who are around you in following me. And so in the sense that it's a gift, there are some things that come along with this gift. One of the things that comes along with this gift is, is this reality. The reality is, is that we need to belong to a family. And the church can be like that. The church can be a family. The church is a place where we can belong. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the church in Ephesus. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves un united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. One of the opening lines in that, in that passage, Paul says, make every effort to keep united. He, and then 
Not only does he talk about staying united, but then he uses all these words about how there's one hope, one faith, one, one baptism, one Lord who unites everything. See, one of the gifts that God gives us is this place where we can all belong, where we can be gathered around what God is up to and who God is and what God is doing. This morning I was thinking about those that Jesus called to be his followers, the first 12. And in the first 12, you had a couple of, of people from very different backgrounds, different perspectives. And yet Jesus reached out to them and he said, come and follow me. Be united around who I am, around the reality that, that God is present in your midst. One of the people that Jesus called out to was Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot looked at his world as he lived in Palestine, and he knew that the Romans were in charge. And he, the fact that the Romans were in charge really got under his skin. He, he worked with all of his might to make sure that the Romans would find the exit paths in life. One of the other guys who was around Jesus' circle was a guy by the name of Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And he wasn't a tax collector for the people who lived in Jerusalem. Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman government. If we want to put it in our own um, in our own day, in our own time, imagine this. Imagine somebody who's really, really red. Because we, we divide people up in terms of like political parties according to colors, right? So we got red and blue. That's the predominant way in which we think about the spectrum today. Imagine Jesus looks out to somebody who's super duper red and somebody who's blue, so blue that, that they outshine navy blue. And Jesus looks at both of them and he says, come and follow me. Come be in my midst. Come give yourself and give your lives, not to something that's simply just about politics, but give yourself to something that where the Lord of life is at. All of life, the life-giving stream, come and follow and be a part of this. And so Jesus says, when you come, you'll find a family, a family that extends beyond the things that divide us, but a family that is gripped with the hope of God. The hope that there's a life, deep life, true life, incredible life, life that we can't begin to imagine. And you'll find that no matter where you're at or no matter what title you place on yourself, no matter what title somebody else places on you, there's a place for you to belong in the family of God. And friends, all of us need family. All of us need a place where we can connect with somebody else and where we can connect with God, where we can bring something to the table and where we can be a recipient of God's grace and we can be reminded of God's love for us. This past year in my own life, I found how important it is to have a family because I've gone through one of the <clears throat> most difficult years I could have imagined. And in the midst of that year, People that I've connected with all over the world sent me cards, reminding me, reminding me that when you go through the darkest of nights, like that song talked about that we sang, God is still holding on. Those cards came from people who were part of, of not just my, my family growing up, the family that I grew up in, but it was the family that has come around me. And those people, they hold all kinds of different thoughts about the world in which we live in, but there's one thing that they have in common. 
They know the love of God. They live the love of God. And they express the love of God. All of us need to belong to a family. So some of us, we know what it's like. And we can rejoice. And some of us, we know what it's like to see people on the outside. People who are looking to find a place. Brothers and sisters, if you find somebody who doesn't know where they fit, where they belong, you need to be part of God's ministry, part of God's reconciling ministry to the world. You need to say, there's a place for you. There's a place for all of us in the work that God is doing in the world, in God's family. That's part of the gift that Jesus brings to us. Part of why we need the church, because we need a family. One of the other things Paul writes about, and, and uh, you think about it with regards to families, that there are gifts that God gives to us. When you live in a family, you need something to do. A couple years ago, it was Thanksgiving Day, and my sister and brother-in-law had come to our house, and we'd eaten the Thanksgiving dinner, right? And then it's midway in the afternoon. And then do you ever get midway into the afternoon and just think to yourself, what in the world do we do now? A lot of people at that moment, you know, they're like, we don't know what to do now. We don't know what kind of conversation to have anymore. And so let's go to a movie. So that's why movies have been coming out, right? At the end, the end of Thanksgiving Day, it's like, that's why the movies are popping up. My brother-in-law looked at me, though. He's like, um, we need to do something. We've been inside. We've been gathered. We've done all this. But we've got to get outside these walls because there's a lot of us in these walls. We've got to do something. So we went outside, and we dug a hole in the ground. And we, put a, we put a gate in, in the back of our fence. We put a gate in the ground. Dug a hole put some fence posts in, put up, put up a gate. Um, when you belong to a family, there's something that you bring to that family, something that you contribute. And families are creative elements, right? They're these creative spaces. Well, God gives us, he gives us all different creative capacity. And he gives us creative gifts. Here's something, here's how Paul puts it. He says this, starting in verse 7, he says, each, to each one of us, there's been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are some of the gifts that Christ gave to the church. He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Paul describes these gifts, this gift that comes from God as the church, and then there are gifts within that sense of the family. And he names five of those gifts here. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. In other places, he begins to describe all kinds of other gifts that have been given to the church. And the gifts that are given to us are for a reason. Not so that we can go out and say, hey, I got a present. I got a gift from God. It's pretty cool. Y'all want to look at it? Y'all want to touch it? Y'all, you know, there's not a, it's not a show and tell kind of experience. The gifts that have been given to us, Paul says, are so that we can 
be a blessing, we can do something with these gifts. We can use these creative gifts in the world around us. So that the church, so that the body, not just the body, but so that people, all kinds of people all around the world are built up and find and find their passion and find their joy and find life in the reality that God loves them and God is giving them something to do. Something where hope becomes a reality that they work with and they live into. Have you ever thought what kinds of gifts you have? I'm sure a number of you have probably taken some sort of personality test or maybe you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory or maybe you've taken a strength finders test. There's all kinds of ways in which we begin to try and understand what our gifts are. The strength finders is is one of those ways that uh, some of us, I don't know if, if some of you have taken the strength finders test, but it's like a way in which you can begin to see what are the things that are really deep down inside of you that strike your passion. One of the ways... Uh, five clues that something is a strength could be that you have a yearning for something. What kinds of activities are you naturally drawn to? This week I, I learned about that somebody in, our, somebody in our congregation loves Florida State football, and they're a, they're a writer for Florida State football blogs. I learned that this week, and I'm like, that's pretty incredible. You can live in southwest Missouri, and yet just because you've got a passion, you've got a familiarity, you can be passionate about something like Florida State football. I mean, I might be passionate about football in other places, but this person's passionate about Florida State football. There's a yearning deep down in there, and they've, they've brought it out, and they're putting it into play. Another thing here is rapid learning. What kind of activities do you pick up quickly? How many of you like math? Bless your heart. How many of you pick up math quickly? Bless you. I'm, I, I can just pick it up. I lose it fast. I lose it really fast, but I can pick it up fast too. Some of you pick math up. Some of you think that's the farthest thing from your mind. There's no way that could be you. But some, we know what it is to have rapid learning. In some of those places, it's an indicator that God has given us a gift in that place. What else do we have here? A flow. And what activities do you seem to automatically know the steps that there are to take? Like somebody doesn't have to tell you what next to do. You know what it is. A flow. Um, it just seems to go, go easy in that direction. One other thing. Glimpses of excellence. You ever put your hand to something? You ever tried something? And it just comes off great? A couple years ago, I tried to do a flip into a... Um, into a, I was on a trampoline park. What's that, trampoline parks? Um, yeah, Sky Zone, yeah. And I tried to do a flip, and I couldn't do a flip. It wasn't those things where it's like, it, I got a glimpse of excellence. I got a glimpse of disaster. You know, it's like not going to happen for you. But some of you, you just step on there, and you're athletically inclined, and you try that, and it, you're like, ah, if I keep working at this, I can do that. A glimpse of excellence. Unsatisfaction. Activities that you give yourself to, and you're like, I love this. There's something deep about this. Something deep down that is satisfying, that it just strikes me as like, this is something I ought to be doing. When you take those five characteristics, and you start looking at your life, maybe there are things that that get highlighted. And they're not just a highlight for you to pay attention to or things where you think, I'm really strong here. This would be a great job for me. But when you think about it, it's like, 
when I do these things, oftentimes in the service of somebody else, there is great and deep and meaningful joy that comes out of my life. This last year, I've had the the joy of reading two books about two different kinds of businesses. One was a book about Guinness beer and about the Guinness family. It was was like God in search of God and Guinness. That was the name, the title of that book. And then the other book that I read was was from Sean Askinosi, who who wrote a book called Meaningful Work. And Sean's up on Commercial Street. He's got the business Askinosi Chocolate. One of the things that was a book with a historical perspective on business and then one which is telling a very current story about somebody who's in business, is that both, both of the stories are people who, who work down those, those lists. It's like, what gives, me, what gives me joy and satisfaction? What flows easily? But then, it wasn't just thinking through those questions, but it was also this deep yearning desire, this prayer within their own heart, within their own mind. Lord, I, I really want to give myself to something that you care about, something that's useful to other people, something that brings joy and significance and glory to you. So both families, both stories are about people who realize that God had given gifts to people in the church. God had given them gifts. And he'd asked them to put them into play And sometimes there was a search, right? Especially in Sean Askinosi's story, there's this search. It's like, I'm doing this one thing, but I don't really know that that's what I'm called to do. But the church was a place where he could begin to discover what it was. And he could play that out. And he could give thanks because these gifts were given to him. And he's he's finding that significant in other places. There's one more thing that Paul talks about in terms of why we need the church. And he says this, all of us need to grow up. Starting in verse 13, Paul writes, as God has given us these gifts, this will continue, and these gifts and this building up will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. When we were tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. A couple of thoughts I'd just like to point out to you, a couple of phrases there. One is he helps us grow and mature. Have you ever just come to your senses and realized that you need to grow and you need to mature? When I was a young person, I realized that I needed some maturity And there was some maturity that you don't get from a book. There's a maturity that you don't get from going to a class. I was a young pastor, and and I was trying to figure out what does it look like to be a pastor. I mean, I'd I'd been in lots of classes. I'd heard lots of of things. I'd read lots of books. But what does it look like to be a pastor? And so there there was a a guy who was a pastor in his 40-somethings. And he came along, and he said, 
how about you come to breakfast with me? And so I began to go to breakfast with him. And around that breakfast table, there were a bunch of other pastors who were in their 50s and 60s, people who were thinking about retiring and people who were, who were never thinking about retiring. They were, and they'd, they'd talk. They'd talk in ways that, that I hadn't heard people talk in a classroom or in a book. They talked about the things, well, that just come from wisdom, about ways that I, I hadn't thought about. And they began to share their life. There were other people that came alongside of me. One was like my dad early on in life. He said, son, uh, you're not always going to be young. And so you need to think about the day when you retire. And what, is, what are your preparations going to look like along that way? There's ways in which we all need to mature. We all need to grow, right? And thank, thankfully, the Lord brings people around us who will put their arms around us and and help us grow in all kinds of ways. One of the ways that Paul says we need to mature, we, we all need to grow is in our sense of faith in terms of knowing who God is. And sometimes, Paul says, there are things that come along and they'll divert us from our faith. They'll take us off into some foreign land. They'll take us down some bunny trail. And one of the gifts that the church, one of the challenges that the church is, is given with is to speak truth and love to us. To talk to us about things that we may, we may view from a very different perspective, but to say, guess what? There's this picture that God paints before us, and you may like it or you may not like it, but we just have to talk about it because it's the picture that God gives to us. I'll never forget a guy by the name of John Swain who had the capacity to speak truth and love. One day... Um, Jake, will you come up here just for a second? We were standing in a, we were standing in a church building, and John Swain came up to me. He was a guy who was about 15 years older than me, and he just put his arm around me. And he was a dad of four boys, raised four sons. They were pretty cool dudes. And my sons were, were running around, and I have no idea where my daughters were. But John just looked at me, and he said, uh, in fact, one of my daughters wasn't even here. He just looked at me with his arm around me like this. And he said, you might need to pay a little attention to, to what your sons are up to. Now, I don't know if anybody's given you parenting advice or if anybody's challenged you in, what you in what you understand about the faith. But when somebody comes alongside of you like this, like a posture like this, like I care about you, and I love you, and I'm for you. And they challenge you to think deeper, to mature, to even examine what you think about God or how you know God, or to challenge you in maybe some other aspect of faith. Well, you know that they're for you, because God is for you. And he's for us. And he wants each and every one of us to not only come alongside of... Thanks, Jake. You should maybe stay up here and help me out in just a second. You can. Yeah, just come, come back up. You can help me out. 
Because God knows that each and every one of us, we need a family. And in the midst of that family, all of us have a gift. And we need to put it into play. And all of us have a place where we need to grow. And somebody needs to come alongside of us and say, Sister, brother, I love you and God loves you. And he wants you, he wants you to be all that Jesus intended for you to be. He wants you to flourish.